Let me just jump right into this message titled The Great Commandment and the Great Commission. What is your response to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission? In his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Church, Pastor Rick Warren made a salient point that we were made, we are made for a mission. Now, everything that God created has purpose. The sun, the moon, and the stars have a purpose. The oceans, the lakes, and the rivers, they have purpose. The trees, the flowers, and shrubs have a purpose. Even roly-poly pill bugs and mosquitoes have a purpose. Although I think we can all agree that mosquitoes must have been created after the sinful fall of man, right? Of course they were. Everything God created has a purpose. But we who were created in the image of God, we image bearers of God not only have a purpose, but we also have a mission. In Genesis chapters 2 and 3, we get a hint of our purpose, which is to have a close personal relationship with God and to reign and rule the earth with him. In Revelation chapters 1 and 5, they give us a clearer picture of our royal and priestly purpose, saying that in Christ we were made to be a kingdom and priests. Did you know that? The Apostle Paul reminded the church in Corinth who were always having family feuds with each other and taking each other to court. Paul reminded them that they would one day judge angels. Did you know that we will judge angels one day? Therefore, they should practice loving one another, working through their own disagreements. You see, Paul knew that our personal disputes have the potential to disrupt the peace and the unity in our beloved community. And that beloved community was purchased at the high price of divine blood. Uh, beloved community is the idea that God has called out a certain group of people, namely his church, to have a special relationship with him and with each other. And that community called the church is commanded by God to regularly gather together to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to serve him. And, and as we serve him, we serve him by serving each other and those around us who are not yet part of our beloved community. God has made us with the purpose of creating a beloved community. And he's made us for the mission of expanding that beloved community. I want to share with you two well-known passages of Scripture that, that take a look at how we weave together this, these ideas uh, into our lives, beloved community and our beloved mission, the mission that God has called us on, these ideas of communion, community, commission. The first is known as the great commandment. That's the first scripture I want us to see. Matthew chapter 22, 35 to 39. One day a lawyer tested Jesus by asking him this question. What's the greatest commandment in all the laws of God? 
And the lawyer knew that they were 613 divine laws. And I, I think he also knew by personal experience how impossible it was to keep them all. And so he's like, Jesus, just, just tell us, just tell me which one is the greatest of them all, then maybe I can keep that one. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. That's the first and the greatest commandment, Jesus said. And then Jesus continued. And the second greatest commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now here we have the divine love on the vertical and horizontal plane. Uh, this love is the unconditional love that flows from the heart of God into the heart of every believer so that we begin to learn how to love him. You do realize there's no way in the world that we could ever know God, let alone love God, without him first loving us. And then we begin to learn how to love ourselves properly. Once we receive the love of God, we can then learn how to love ourselves. And finally, once we learn how to love God and ourselves, then the love of God spills out of our hearts to love others. That's exactly what happened to Donita and Daryl Travis when they started Kids Club, now known as By the Hand Club. I was here in those early days when Donita was finishing up at Northwestern School of Business, and she thought she went on this retreat to get a vision for their business together as business partners, and husband and wife, and suddenly God gave them another vision that arose in her own heart, which ended up in what you have seen and heard today. Incredible. When you're full of the love of God, you learn to love him, love yourself, and you begin to learn to sacrificially love others. You see, you'll never love anyone properly until you learn to love yourself properly. And you can't really know how to love yourself properly until you are rightly related to the God who made you to love and to be loved. In his book, The Three Passions of the Soul, Bruce Terpstra quotes the Catholic priest, Father Richard Rohr, who said this, most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. In fact, God loves you so that you can change. What empowers change, what makes you desirous of change is the experience of love. It is that inherent experience of love that becomes the engine of change, end quote. Right you are, Father Richard Rohr, so good. Now, how do we become rightly related to God? It begins when we recognize our fallen nature, that is our sin nature. Can we all admit? that we have a natural desire, a natural proclivity to sin, that is to rebel against God. We do that whenever we break his commandments. Uh, the Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you personally received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Have you personally confessed your sinfulness before the holy God? Have you repented of your sins and asked God to forgive you? 
to cleanse you and to give you the gift of eternal life? See, once you do that, once you do that, you become forgiven, a forgiven child of God, able to receive love and share his unconditional love and grace and mercy toward others. Now, I know many people, many people who they had a hard time loving themselves before they received the gift of eternal life. You know why? They didn't love themselves because they thought they didn't deserve to be loved. And the reason they felt unlovable was usually one of two reasons. Either they were mistreated and abused by a parent or a spouse, or they lived a life of reckless rebellion and self-destruction. Either way, they had a severe case of low self-esteem. As a result, they didn't have a proper view of themselves, thinking they were unworthy of being loved. But then God found them and revealed himself to them, opening their spiritual eyes to see and their spiritual ears to hear and to receive his amazing grace. Now, I know many other people who have a highly exaggerated view of themselves. They, they are filled with pride and arrogance and it's all about them and what they want and what they have. It's their way or no way. People like that have a hard time thinking of others, being considerate or kind because they are so self-absorbed, self-focused. They can't really love anybody or receive love from anyone because they are so full of themselves. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he what? Gives grace to the humble. The truth that proud people need to know is that nobody is self-sufficient. There is no one who needs no one else. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious perfection. And those who obey the two great commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind are those humble enough to recognize they are sinners in need of God's grace. And when we receive God's grace, and we begin to be transformed by God's grace, we will be filled with the love of God, filled with proper love for self, and filled with love for others. Then and only then will you be rightly related to God, self, and others. Listen to Bruce Terpstra again describing in his book, Three Passions of the Soul. He describes Augustine, that great African bishop's view on this subject. He said, quote, Augustine's theory about sin and discipleship is based on what he called disordered love. In this theory, he believed that the focus of discipleship should not be on behavior, bad deeds or actions, but rather on the love of God. The keystone of this theory is that the soul must find satisfaction in God alone and nothing else. The idea of disorder comes in when he suggests that there are three objects of our love. Here it is, love for God, love for others, and love for ourselves. This is also the order that he believes God would have our souls aligned. And Augustine believed that if our affections are stronger for anything or anyone other than God himself, our lives will be in turmoil, for we were created to love God. And closely related to this idea is a concept of idolatry. Idolatry is love out of order. 
It is when something or someone is more important than God and essentially displacing him from the throne of your life, end quote. When you begin to live out the great commandments, you'll enjoy peace and unity in the beloved community. And you will be God's agent used by him to expand his beloved community to a lost and lonely world, set desperately looking for that beloved community. Some of you know I've been on the board at Pacific Garden Mission. Shortly after arriving here at the Moody Church, about a year into my pastorate here as one of the assistant pastors, God opened the door for me to serve at the Pacific Garden Mission. And I've been on the board there for 20 plus years. And I feel like I'm sitting on the front row of watching God's miracles of changed lives each and every day. I can tell you the story of a man named Stephen Welch who uh, grew up in the suburbs in a wonderful Christian home, went to church, grew up, got married, had kids of his own, got involved in the corporate world and his job and corporate profession, and Satan led him astray into a life of of all kinds of uh, self-destructive behavior. Eventually lost his wife and his kids, his home, ended up downtown on the Roosevelt Bridge over the Chicago River, thinking about jumping off that bridge one winter day. He looked up and he saw the cross at the Pacific Garden Mission a few blocks away that says, Jesus saves. He got down off of that bridge, walked to the mission, and there he recommitted his life to Christ. You know what Stephen Welch is doing today? He's the executive assistant to the president of the great Pacific Garden Mission. I could tell you about Yeah, praise the Lord. God is good. I could tell you about Javier Pecunia, a guy who grew up in Puerto Rico. And uh, he too uh, didn't really know much about God when he was a kid, but got involved in the street life of Puerto Rico, wound up in a Puerto Rican prison. And there somebody gave him a little transistor radio. And as he was tuning the dial one day in his prison cell, he came across the unshackled radio drama produced right there at the Pacific Garden Mission and heard stories just like his. He gave his life to Christ. He served his sentence. He got out, came to mainland USA here in Chicagoland up in Waukegan, and was tempted to go back into the streets in the old ways. And he said, you know what, I I heard that Pacific Garden Mission is right here in, in Chicago. And he made his way from Waukegan down to Pacific Garden Mission. And there he said, I, I, I want to serve. I want to give my life fully devoted to Christ. And now Javier is serving the Lord in the Pacific Garden Mission. I had a, he met a, a woman that came through the program there and I had the privilege to officiate at their wedding a few years ago. And uh, it's just amazing to see his life transformed and together he and his wife serving the Lord at Pacific Garden Mission. Incredible. Incredible. I can tell you about Lavana's troop, guy who grew up in West Haven Park, what used to be the, the, one of the, the, the public housing facilities in the near west by the United Center. And uh, they call it the Double H, the Henry Horner Homes. They call it the Double H. And he grew up there, got involved in, in, in the gangs as a little kid, became a bank robber, became a chief of one of the tribes, one of the gangs on the west side was shot multiple times, seven times, and and somehow miraculously lived. 
went to prison for a number of years. And when he got out, he said, you know what, I'm done with this life. I want to find a way to help rebuild the community that I tore down. And then he heard about Together Chicago, and he asked if he could get a job. And, and we hired him and began working with him and trained him how to go back and reach the young guys that are still out in the street, gang-banging, as they say. I took him up to a camp in Michigan, a place called Life Action Camp. And I now sit on that board there in Michigan at Life Action. And, and Levanus brought his wife and his youngest son and his older son with his wife and kids. And every day in chapel, he would hear messages and the preacher was talking about something that he and his wife was privately discussing in their cabin or at lunch or a dinner. And Levanus came to me and said, Pastor, is this place bugged? Remember, he's an he's a old G gang member from the West Side. He knows all about wiretapping and bugs and all that. He goes, is this place? I said, no, what do you mean? Why do you think it's bugged? He goes, me and my wife be talking in the room, and next thing you know, the preacher is talking about what we're talking about. How does he know? I said, well, it is kind of bugged, but it's not bugged. The Holy Spirit is listening to your conversation and then talking to the preacher and, you know, they're having a moment. My wife and I, Labor Day weekend two years ago, had a privilege to lead he and his wife to Christ right there at the camp. He came back. I was preaching at Moody Bible Institute that next, uh, after Labor Day. Uh, I was preaching at Moody and Tory Gray Auditorium, and he said, Pastor, I want to come and hear you preach. He said, I've never been to Moody Bible Institute. I grew up two miles away from there. I've always heard about Moody Bible Institute. He says, can I come hear you preach? He came and he sat right there as I preached. And tears rolling down his face, he goes, so this is Moody Bible Institute, this is Moody? I said, yeah. I said, what did you tell your guys when you went back after the weekend, how you got saved, you and your wife? He goes, well, I told them, half of them are mad at me, and the other half are like, good for you. <laughs> tell me more about this Jesus thing. You see, when you understand and you've been loved by God and you've received that love, you can then love other people. Now, let me hurry on to the great commandment, from the great commandment to the great commission, also found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Listen to these words. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Pastor Miller said it earlier, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this passage of Scripture took place just a few days after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16 says, the 11 disciples met Jesus on the mountain in the town of Galilee. You say, didn't Jesus have 12 disciples? Yes, but remember, Judas, the one who betrayed him, he committed suicide. Instead of going to Jesus to find grace and mercy through confession and repentance, and so church, let us learn if even this one lesson from Judas, God's grace is sufficient for your greatest failures. 
Let me say that again. God's grace is sufficient for your greatest failures. Okay? You don't have to be defined by your worst moments in life. Do not let your life be defined by your failures. Come to Jesus and find grace and mercy in his love. Now check out verse 17. The disciples couldn't help but to worship the resurrected Lord and Christ. Lord Jesus. Can you imagine their surprise and joy after witnessing his brutal crucifixion and burial? But notice the end of verse 17 says, while everyone worshiped, what? Some doubted. Maybe some of you are like some of the disciples. You're in good company here. You worship the Lord, but you have some doubts. That's okay. Do you know that God makes allowances? He makes room for your doubts. He does. In fact, each of our four children had doubts about their faith or the Bible at one point or another in their lives. I had my doubts about my faith, though I was saved at a young age. When I was about 19 or 20, I wrestled with some doubts about God and the Bible. And that's not unusual. You are not alone in your doubts. But God led me to my pastor, Dr. O.S. Hawkins, who helped to answer my questions and prayed over me and encouraged me to remain faithful and teachable. I learned to worship the Lord even with some doubts and until he removed my doubts and, and gave me assurance about himself and his word. I learned to study the Bible for myself so that I could answer the hard questions that I had. And some of us doubt. Because you see, doubts come from various sources. Some of us, we have doubts because we have unanswered intellectual questions and some of us doubt because of hard, painful, personal experiences. And some of our doubts come from watching the suffering in the world around us and wondering how could a loving and all-powerful, all-knowing God, how could he allow evil and suffering in this world? Well, whatever your source of doubt, take it to God in prayer. Take it to your parents. Take it to your mentor. Take it to your pastor. Don't give up or give in to doubts. Wait until God reveals himself to you and removes that doubt, replacing it with confidence and faith. Now watch this. Despite their doubts, Jesus gave the disciples the great commission. He said, I don't know if, any, if God could ever use me with my doubts. Yes, he can. He used the disciples. Many of them were filled with doubts. Listen, go. Make other disciples just as I've commanded you, Jesus says. Teach them my commands. Baptize them in the name of the Trinity. And then don't miss this. Look at the end of verse 20. You know what, it's, you know what that is? It is a most remarkable promise. It's a great promise. Jesus promises to be with those of us who decided to obey his great commission. Wherever you go on mission. I think I see Berv Peterson, Elder Berv Peterson over here. He was one of the first folks that signed up in our EE class. Berv, I bet you can testify of how you felt the presence and the closeness of God when you were out on Tuesday night sharing the gospel or wherever you were in your business world and you had a privilege to share the gospel with somebody. I know that you can testify. You felt the closeness and the presence of God. That's the way it is. God says, you go and make disciples and I will be with you in a special way that I'm not with you in any other time. It's an incredible promise. 
Jesus promises to be with those of us who decide to obey his great commission wherever we go on mission. Listen, hundreds of years ago in Europe, wealthy people, including kings and queens, used to give commissions to fine artists and musicians and sculptures like Michelangelo and Donatello and all those guys. Beethoven and Bach and saw Paul Satry here on the piano. I think he's descended from Beethoven or Bach. But listen, they would commission these fine artists to create works of art and music for them and for the great cathedrals in Europe. A commission was an order to do a great work for a great ruler. And the one who ordered the commission would also supply every resource needed to accomplish the great work. Well, guess what? Our great ruler, our Lord Jesus Christ, has given us a great task, make disciples. And Jesus said, I have all the authority I need to commission you. And along with his authority comes all the resources needed for us to carry out the great commission. And our greatest resource needed is him. His power, his wisdom, his strength, his love, and most of all, his presence. His presence. That is what God has called us to do. And so, Jesus knows what we need because he knows our weaknesses. He knows our fears. He knows our doubts. And so, even at the point of our doubt, for some of the disciples, Jesus still commissioned them to do a great work for him, to go and to make disciples, to enlarge the beloved community. Jesus gave us some parameters that define the great community. He said we must go. That might mean for us that we sometimes have to go to some places that are out of our way and out of our comfort zones. I've had the privilege to travel now to over 40 countries around the world on mission with God and with others. Making disciples, building medical clinics, schools, churches, installing water wells, training pastors, planting churches. And I can tell you, all of the places I've been were way out of my way. I had to get on a long flight and then get on a bus or a train or a car or a long ride to my destination or my mission. And sometimes it was very, very hot or very cold. And sometimes the food wasn't great like my wife's cooking. Sometimes it was dangerous and risky. But every time the Lord was with me and our team and we sensed his presence where whenever we felt alone, we were never really alone. He guided and he provided for our every need. He protected us and gave us joy and strength for every mission. And we saw his power at work to transform lives, making disciples for Christ. I remember my first short-term overseas mission trip to Nigeria, right here from the Moody Church. We took a team to work with our Moody Church missionary, Leslie Pelt, who was rescuing prostitutes in Nigeria from the streets and making disciples of them in a safe house. That was an amazing adventure. And we were front row spectators as well as onstage actors in God's dramatic story of redemption. Some of you went on that mission. Some of you stayed behind and you fervently prayed for us. And some of you gave sacrificially to make it happen. See, making disciples involves the entire family of faith working together, everybody doing their part. Making disciples, serving, praying, sacrificing, all for and with the love of God. 
I remember while serving here at the Moody Church, leading evangelism explosion classes and teams into the old Cabrini Green before it was safe to go into Cabrini Green. I remember walking up and down those dark, smelly stairwells because the elevators wouldn't work and we'd walk up 10 or 12, 15 flights of stairs and there was feces and urine and drunk and stoned out people laying in the stairwells. We had to walk over them and hearing gunshots at night as we were coming and going. But we went to share the good news of God's love with them. Now, most of Cabrini Green has been gentrified. Lost people, though, still live there. They live in their million-dollar homes, condos, and apartments. And guess what? They need Jesus. And, and just like the poor people who have been displaced, the rich people need Jesus too. Who will go and tell them? Will you? Who will go and express your love of the Lord by loving others as you love yourself? About 10 years ago, while pastoring at Uptown Baptist Church, we had a Monday night meal where we, we helped to uh, feed people, homeless people that were coming into the sanctuary, uh, into the church building before, um, for, for a Monday night meal, for a dinner meal, hot meal. And we, we had two to 300 people every Monday night would come in for a meal and we fed them, had volunteers that cooked and prepared the meal and sat and ate with the people and listened to them and laughed with them and cried with them. But before the people went down for the belly food, we'd have some soul food served in the sanctuary by a, uh, one of our, our lay preachers. And so I was sitting in the back of the sanctuary, the lay preacher was giving a devotional to the folks before they went down for the meal downstairs and I heard pop, 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 pop. And I thought, what was that? I looked at my watch. I thought maybe it was fireworks. I felt the concussions in my chest in the back of the sanctuary. I said, it's August 9th, long after fireworks should be going off in Chicago. I, I got up. I went to the side door. I looked outside at the corner of Wilson and Sheridan. Five people were on the ground bleeding. Blood was literally pooling at the church steps. I called 911, I went down to be with the people until the ambulance came. One man who was shot in the head expired within 48 hours. The others had flesh wounds and they recovered from their injuries. That shooting changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my ministry. God just wouldn't let me get over that. And I began asking questions. What in the world is going on in our city of Chicago? What's all this violence? Why? And here's what I was asking. Why are all these black people and brown people killing other black people and brown people? What's that about? So after all the progress we have made from slavery to Jim Crow and all this advancement, we now have the greatest amount of freedom and, and opportunity for education and jobs and housing and this and that. And, and after all that our forefathers have been through, now we're turning the gun on each other and killing each other. Now listen to this. Listen carefully. I could understand if they were killing white folks. I wouldn't agree with it, but I can understand all the pent-up anger from the past, abuses and injustices. I can understand that they're killing white folks. But they're not killing y'all, they're killing us. They're killing themselves. I couldn't understand it. And God said, I'm thinking, God, 
why don't you do something about this? And God's like, okay. How about you? I don't, I don't know what to do. He said, like Moses, just follow me. <laughs> I'll show you what to do. You just obey me. You just do what I tell you to do. And that changed my life. And I started meeting with people around the city, asking what is it that's driving the violence and what can the church do? See, I knew that the church had the answer. I knew that we couldn't just sit in our four walls every Sunday and worship God without having some impact on the community around us that was shooting and killing each other. And so God began to direct me and I ended up meeting a guy named Dave Dillon, business guy downtown, and God had put on his heart the same thing he put on my heart. And that led to the founding of Together Chicago. And God has been so good and, and, and such a blessing to all of us and enabled us to impact. We're now in five neighborhoods, in five of the most violent neighborhoods across the city, right there in the former Henry Horner Homes, now known as West Haven Park. We're in East Garfield Park, we're in Austin, we're in the near west, and now we're in Greater Grand Crossing on the south side. Just opened up a new office there a few weeks ago. And our mission and our team is growing. And thanks to some of you who came and prayed with us at Uptown Baptist Church some 10, 12 years ago, and have been praying for the work and involving yourself in the work at Together Chicago. Thanks to the mission team and the elders who have said, you know what, we're not only pray for you, we're gonna encourage people to join you and we're gonna financially support the work of Together Chicago. And I'm thankful for you as well. Incredible. But again, everybody has a place to serve. We don't expect everyone to go and hang out with the guys who are pulling triggers like I do. We ride with the commanders in the police district. We're an official partner with Chicago police and the police introduces us to these guys and then we have an opportunity to offer them services so that they can, their hearts can be softened and they can then hear the good news of the gospel. God has blessed us with a growing team of 60 hardworking people now in various, all these various initiatives. And why do we do it? I was very happy pastoring Uptown Baptist Church. There was no conflict. Uh, there was, the church was doing well. Financially, we were doing well. Spiritually, we were doing well. The church is on mission. There was absolutely zero reason for me to leave Uptown Baptist Church in terms of anybody trying to push me out of there or whatever, nothing like that. But it was God stirring in our hearts. And why do we do it? We were compelled by the love of God and for the love of people. And yes, I know that many of the people that we serve have done a lot of wicked things, a lot of evil things. But when I get to know them and hear their stories of how abused and traumatized they were as kids, I remember a phrase I learned in my Christian counseling class at Trinity. Hurt people hurt people. And then people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so we go to show the love and care and concern of Christ with these people on the front lines of these rival gang members. 
And once they see that we're serious and we have real opportunity for them to make different decisions with resources we bring to them, they begin to open their eyes and ears to the good news of the gospel. And so we start where they are. We offer them many of the resources that they desperately need and slowly earning their trust by showing them love and then earning the right to share the good news of the gospel and so that we might fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. Communion with God leads to the beloved community. The beloved community leads to the great commission. I know this two years ago, this month, you all had your own mass shooting incident just next door at the BP gas station. And some nine months later, later you had another one in the Shell gas station on the other side. The question is, how will you respond to God's great commandment and his great commission? I trust that it will be a God-honoring, it would be God-honoring, one worthy of his majesty, King of kings, Lord of lords. And I know that God has moved in the hearts of a small group of Moody Church members like the two Kevins, two brothers from another mother, Kevin Ballou and Kevin Tobin, I think they're here somewhere tonight, today, who've been praying and acting in redemptive ways for the good of our beloved city of Chicago. Now, what if more of you joined them in praying and acting out of great commandment and the great commission in Jesus' name? May God continue to bless Moody Church and to make Moody Church a blessing to this city. Let me close with a benediction for you, and I know Pastor Philip will come and have some other things to say before we close the service. Bow with me if you would, please. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and give you peace and give you grace and give you mercy forever amen